The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Now pitching number 39, Edwin Diaz. Dun, 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 dun. All right, I'm not going to do any more of that. Welcome to the Edwin Diaz edition of Rico Bronia, where we'll focus on Edwin's impending free agency, his career as a Met, how much he should make. If the Mets should sign him, spoiler alert, yes. And how the hell you replace him, which I got to tell you is impossible. We'll get into that as uh, time goes on. I do think it's fascinating to see how our view of Edwin Diaz has evolved from 2019 to 2022. And, And look, there's nothing wrong. I always say this. When you're criticizing a player in the moment or you're criticizing a move in the moment, you're not predicting you're commenting. You're not saying, hey, this player is going to suck forever, necessarily. Sometimes you may. But a lot of times, you're just reacting to what you see. So Edwin Diaz in the second half of 2019 was bad. That's not uh, an argument. That's a fact. And I think really up until the beginning of this season, 2022, he was always regarded as a guy, fair or not, and we'll discuss it, as a guy that no Met fan would trust. In 2022, he had such a dominant season that now we trust him. Now we're going to do a podcast in which we basically beg Steve Cohen to keep him because he's completely impossible to replace. And I think that's what's so fascinating about Edwin Diaz's time as a New York Met. We all remember the trade. And I know that when that trade first went down, the Robinson Cano-Edwin Diaz trade for Jared Kelnick, There were other players involved that we all forget. Big contracts like Jay Bruce was in that. Was it Jay Bruce in that trade? Oh, my God. I'm losing my mind. Who the hell was in that trade? Jay Bruce was definitely in the trade. And was Paul Seawald part of that trade, too, or no? I don't think Paul Seawald was a part of that trade. They actually traded um, an expensive relief pitcher. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. All right, here it is. I'm on baseball reference, so we can actually get it correct. It was Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz for Jared Kelnick. Justin Dunn, Jay Bruce, Gerson Bautista, and here's the expensive reliever, Anthony Swarzak. And oh, yeah, he sucked. <laughs> yeah, he was terrible. In the short term of this trade, the Mets were dumping contracts. We always think about them taking on Robbie's contract, which obviously they did, but they were also dumping the back end of Jay Bruce's contract, and I think it was the final year of Anthony Swarzak's contract. So, That sort of gets forgotten over time. I mean, I think this is a perfect example of it. 
two years ago, I would have told you this trade like the back of my hand. But I think as time goes by, you sort of forget. You forget the ancillary pieces to it. Um, but Jared Kelnick obviously was the big name. It, it felt very Scott Casimir-like in that here's this big prospect that then for the next three years, we all watched very closely. And every time there was a report of, oh, my God, Jared Kelnick's going to be the next Mike Trout. This is um, unbelievable. How could the Mets have given him up? What are they thinking? Uh, we would all freak out. And then we watched Jared Kelnick play baseball at the major league level. And we all felt so much better. I mean, Jared Kelnick being a 168 hitter as a career major leaguer, he's still young, by the way, things can change, has certainly eased our concerns on what Kelnick could be. But let's go back to the trade because it was a very controversial trade and it was a hotly debated trade. And I remember my view at the time was twofold. Number one, I always said, and this was prophetic, this one I'll take a W on. I always said we cannot refer to this trade as the Robbie Cano trade. It's the Edwin Diaz trade. That the New York Mets key to this trade was acquiring this young reliever in the prime of his career, really before the prime of his career. Because remember, Edwin Diaz at this point was coming off this incredible year with the Mariners in 2018. He had a 196 ERA, say 57 games but he was 24 years old with four years of control. So yeah, Robbie Cano was the big name, his time with the Yankees, the Mets are desperate for a bat, the steroids, the contract, all that. But I, I remember saying that on the air to Joe, this is the Edwin Diaz trade. Robbie Cano is the biggest name in it, but this is the Edwin Diaz trade. And that's why the Mets made it. Now it was also made during the Wilpon era. So absorbing what turned out to be an even worse contract than we imagined was more damaging then than it is today. Uh, we're going to do more podcasts, obviously, as this season rolls on. And one of them that I was, I don't know if we're going to do a whole podcast on it, was ideas on how to move bad contracts because James McCann's a bad contract. Not that Darren Ruff's a terrible contract, but it's not a great contract. Hey, what would you deal those guys for? Well, there's a different context to that in 2023 because we have an owner who doesn't give a rat's ass. We have an owner who would say, you suck. We'll just eat the money. That wasn't the case in 2018 going into 2019. So obviously the context of the trade was far different. But I always looked at it as this is the Edwin Diaz trade. Now, is it worth giving up a top-of-the-line prospect for a relief pitcher? Probably not. But what bothered me about the trade was if you're going to give up a top prospect, then the Mariners better eat a big part of Robbie's contract. And if you're going to eat a big part of Robbie's contract, which with Steve Cohen owning the team, I would gladly eat bad contracts if it meant not giving up top prospects. For example, a little preview of a later podcast. Would you take on a horrific contract like Anthony Rendon if it meant softening the price on Shohei Otani? Yes. Because we have a billionaire owner now. But back when this trade was made, we viewed it very differently. So, Hoff, be honest now. When that trade was made, Robbie Cano, Edwin Diaz, we all knew about Jared Kelnick, Justin Dunn, another sort of prospect, or was a prospect, but not was not as devastating as dealing Kelnick. Forget Bruce and Swarzak. Your reaction to that trade was... You pretty much nailed it. I mean, there's there's no uh, there's no comparison. You you do one or the other. 
I'm all for getting Edwin Diaz. I'm all for giving up Jarek Kelnick. I'm all for taking on Robinson Cano's contract, but not both. You can't do both. So that's where they failed no matter what because you could have saved Kelnick for a rainy day or you could have, you know, you could have just saved – you could have eaten money at a later point in time for somewhere else. To do both for just Edwin Diaz I think was too much. I was fine with getting Diaz. I just think they overpaid. That's all. Yeah. Closers are tough to find. And I think as Met fans, we know that firsthand. You know, sharing a city with Mariano Rivera and seeing how easy that looked for so long. Not that anyone's Mariano, but we've gone through so many crappy closers over the years. And some of them, the ones that you sort of forget about. You know, we all know Armando Benitez, who actually was a good regular season closer. We all remember Billy Wagner and J. Riz Familia. But let's not forget Bobby Parnell as a closer for a couple of years or Braden Looper as closer for a couple of years. Uh, it's very John difficult. Roush. Yeah, John Roush. How many saves did John <laughs> Roush get, though? Let's be Maybe honest. seven. <laughs> it, finding a closer is really tough. And... I remember thinking, okay, guy's 23, 24 years old. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Maybe he's our guy. Not that you could ever think anyone will be Mariano Rivera, but hey, maybe we will have a top-level closer. Maybe he'll be our Roldis Chapman or Kenley Jansen. Two guys who have had pretty good careers, but I think we'd all agree nowhere near the level of a Mariano Rivera. So going into the 2019 season, I had hope. Now again, Cano got most of the attention. It was all about what does Robbie have left? What can Robbie Cano do? What will Robbie Cano do? How will he be? And I think he had a home run in his first game off Max Scherzer, if memory serves correct, back in 2019. So Edwin Diaz comes here, comes off an amazing 2018, saves 57 games, has a 1.96 ERA. He's 25 years old. And, and this makes time feel so weird, four years of team control. And that just makes me laugh because we're doing a podcast about his free agency. Four years of team control we all thought about. Now, do you remember that when Edwin Diaz began the 2019 season for the first month and a half, he was awesome. He was great. In fact, until May 28th, and that's really the line of demarcation. And there's a few games you could look at and say, this was it for Edwin Diaz. To me, I was at Disney World Memorial Day weekend, and I snuck looking at my phone. I was not DVRing the game at the time. I was on a ride. I think I was on It's a Whole New World. Not a Whole New World. Uh, It's a Small World After All. It's a Small World, yes. A Whole New World's a song. (laughs) (laughs) One of them. And I quickly said, hon, I'm going to check the Met game. And that's when, at the time the brilliant manager of the New York Mets, you may recall him, you may remember him, his name is Mickey Calloway, what a douche, decided to go to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning of a game against the Tigers, in which Diaz blew it. Wasn't an awful blown save, but a blown save. And the Mets actually went on and won that game. 
And for some reason, I don't know why, I think back to that game as the game that ruined Edwin Diaz. Because before you know it, he's crapping the bed against the L.A. Dodgers. But up until that point, May 28th is the line of demarcation. He had a 1.64 ERA. He had thrown 22 innings, had struck out 35 guys, and had walked seven. And that one blown save is what I mentioned. When he came in in the eighth inning against Detroit, was 13 for 14 in saves. He was great. The only hiccup he had had was against our new friend, and now old friend, Jesse Winker, who hit a couple of home runs against him back in mid to late April. They weren't blown saves. They were just him coming into a tie game, giving up a home run. So he did have a couple of hiccups. But until June, Edwin Diaz was awesome. Like Edwin Diaz was was everything we had envisioned. And then he decided to stick it up our ass. The game against the Dodgers that they lost 9-8, the suspended game against the Cardinals when Pete Alonso was begging, hey, don't, don't, let's play or let's stop it. I forget what he did. All I know is he effed it up. And they suspended the game. And the brilliant manager, Mickey Calloway, decided to let Edwin Diaz pitch the restart to the game the following day. And Edwin put together a collection of just awful blown saves that I don't want to go through because we already did a depressing episode of horrible Met season-ending losses. So why would we sit here going through all of those losses from 2019, a year in which the Mets put together as many epic collapses as you'll ever see, capped off by the Kurt Suzuki game against the Nationals in September. That was the capper. Would they give up seven runs in the ninth inning? But Edwin Diaz began to suck. There's no defending it. He was awful. Uh, he basically lost the closer's job by the end of the year. Seth Lugo was getting saves, and the trade really looked at that point like a disaster because Robbie Cano busting out and not being good, okay, fine. He was old. You never know. But Edwin Diaz couldn't be bad. He needed to be, if not the best closer in baseball, a top-five closer. And he was awful in 2019. 2020 is weird. If you look at Edwin Diaz's stats in 2020, you see a really good ERA and you see really good numbers. But what I would tell you, and think back to this if you even remember 2020 because it's such a weird season, he blew a lot of games. And that was my problem with him. He put up good numbers, but he always gave up that inopportune home run. There was a blown save against the Yankees where they had a big lead. Uh, there was a blown save against the Marlins. There were, there were just so many of them in a short period of time. So Edwin Diaz's 2020 was better, but you still couldn't trust him. You still looked at him and said, Ugh, is this really the guy who could be on the mound to record the final three outs of a championship team? 2021 was different. Because in 2021, while his ERA was higher than in the shortened season of 2020, and he did blow saves, Jacob Stalling says hi, he wasn't as bad. He was better. He was better. And the argument that would be made to me about him in 2021, which was a fair one, was, hey, forget about 2019 for a second. Forget about 2020. In 2021, how many closers were worse? Or, phrase it this way, how many closers are better? Because there were a lot of closers worse. And sometimes we forget that. We only worry about ourselves. We see Edwin Diaz blowing saves. We see Jacob Stallings sitting game-winning home runs. And we say, he sucks. I can't trust him. But at the end of 2021, 
we all kind of agreed, hey, we can't trust Edwin Diaz. So I gave it further thought because I listened to those I debate with. And there were a lot of Diaz supporters, one of which I play fan baseball with, who would always write me defending Edwin Diaz. And I thought he was a little bit of a fanboy for Diaz, but I wanted to give a thought. And the one point he always made that was true, and I give him credit, was who's better? And I'm telling you right now, not that you want to do it, who wants to go back to 2021? There weren't a lot of guys better. And so it was easy to say, get rid of Edwin Diaz. Replace Edwin Diaz. Let Seth Lugo be the closer. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Thank God that the New York Mets, with all the different general managers they've had over the last few years, Porter, Scott, now Billy Epler, that they all came to the same conclusion. While he may be flawed, while he may be flawed, he's probably our best option.